You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. My talk is about today as we close up this, this series on, we're calling it Walking on Water, and so I'm going to do the passage today that actually talks about somebody who walked on water. By the way, anybody walked on water lately? Anybody walked on something wet lately? <laughs> I was watching my wife pull in. Honey, are you here? Okay, so I'm, the windows are up. The reason the, the shades are up today is because we were trying to prepare the best way we possibly could for a power outage. Those of you who've been here a while, you know that sometimes that can happen in, on the grid here at Harbor City. So we're like, okay, keep the shades up just in case the power goes out. We got candles. You can see me with the natural light, and I'm just going to shout the message, right? So I'm here watching, and I see my wife, and I think it was her um, a sister, pull in on this... Uh, this patch of wet, muddy grass, and then I watched her try to reverse, and I watched the front wheel spin out, and I thought, I had this thought. Did you feel it? Did you feel it? Like, I'm going to get stuck <laughs> in this mud right here, <laughs> and so um, well, I'm going to talk to you today about a, a situation in which disciples of Jesus actually did get stuck in water. And it's found in Matthew chapter 14. And if you have your Bibles or if you can pull a Bible up in front of you or you can look on the screen if it's more convenient, I would encourage you to bring your Bibles because uh, it's good to know where stuff is in the Bible. If you don't know, we're going to have Hardy teach a class on how to know what's in the Bible because my kids know the Bible and all the books of the Bible in order now because they've been attending his class. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, I'm going to read the story, and then I'm going to give you what I believe is, I didn't know that it was going to be this way, but I I felt that the Lord allowed me, without me really knowing it, to prepare what I call a prophetic message today. In other words, there are, the points of this message are going to fit some of you, like, dead on. Prophetic means, it's, it's, it's a fancy way of saying God is speaking right here and now into your situation with his word. So listen for the points today. They're built around three R's. In fact, let me, let's, let's just, let me just tell you what they are. The first R is retreat. Say retreat. retreat. Some of you need to retreat in order to advance. The second word is revelation. Say revelation. revelation. Some of you are way, you know, we live in an information age. But just because there's a lot of information that you're accessing doesn't mean you're living out of revelation. Say with me, rescue. Rescue. How many of you need to be rescued? (laughs) We're going to talk a little bit about how Jesus rescues someone here today and how that applies. So some of these points are going to apply directly to you today. Listen for what God is saying. And if it doesn't apply to you, just say, wow, pastor, I'm going to tuck that away for next time when I'm going to need it. Okay, so here we go. Matthew chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. How many of you know sometimes God has to make you do something? How, okay, in human relationships, all of you spouses in the room, wives in the room, how many times have you thought, he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. I'm going to find a way to make him do it. Okay, so you understand, sometimes God, sometimes we're so thick-headed or we don't see it right away, and God has to make us. Psalm 23 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. 
he leads me beside the still water. So Jesus makes his disciples get into the boat, go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So what's going on here is Jesus has just fed thousands of people miraculously with, you know, a few fish sandwiches. And he multiplies these, the fish and the bread and everyone gets fed. Now, there's something else going on that you need to know. Jesus has just been through a terrible loss. John the Baptist, a close rel- uh, relative of his, has been beheaded. Okay? It's one thing to lose somebody in your life. It's another thing to lose them through beheading. John the Baptist has been beheaded. A loved one has died. And some of you are sitting in this room and you know this has been your experience. You are living still in the loss of a loved one. Or it may be in the loss of something very precious to you in your life. Jesus knows what that's like. And what Jesus does when he hears that John the Baptist has has been uh, killed, he says to his disciples, guys, we need to get away. Because that's what you do when you're grieving. You need to pull back and you need to get away with those that love and care for you the most and say, let's, let's just be alone. So Jesus is on his way to being alone. But when he gets to the place where he thought he was going to be alone with his disciples, he finds that the crowd is there and they're clamoring for him. They crowd, the crowds really want to force Jesus to become king. Okay? So he, imagine how he's feeling. I want to grieve I, I need time, but then he comes to the crowd, and he knows what the crowd really wants. The crowd really wants a Messiah that's going to deliver them from the Roman rule and oppression and restore Israel to its former glory. And so, Jesus, you're that man. And so pressure is coming now from the crowd. But Jesus meets the pressure of the crowd with his compassion, and he says, I'm going I'm to feed you today, just once. <laughs> and he, he multiplies the fish and bread. And so this is where we pick up. After this situation, Jesus goes back to his original purpose in being there. He wants to get away. It says, after he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. So in other words, guys, I know I started this out saying, let's go, all of you disciples of mine, and let's let's just seek God together. But now the crowd has come. The crowd is going to try to use you to leverage forcing me into becoming king, so I don't want you to be a part of this. I don't want you to be influenced by the crowd. Get in the boat, and he sends them across the lake, and he alone spends time with the Heavenly Father. Guess how much time he spends here? This is about maybe 3 or 4 o'clock in the evening. It says here, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, and it was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So let's guess how long Jesus was on the mountain. Shortly before dawn... Of the next day, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. So Jesus has been on the mountain at least 12 to 14 hours alone with God. And when he gets up out of that, it says he, he doesn't get into a boat. He walks on the lake. Now, there are a bunch of miracles Jesus does. This one puzzles me the most. What is up with walking on water, man? Like, are you trying to show off? Are you trying to flex your divine muscle here? I mean, What's going on here? Why the walking on water and defying the laws of physics? Now watch. 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. You would be too. They said, it's a ghost. And they said, and they cried out in fear. And Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Mark that. Because 
That statement is the key to understanding why he's walking on the water. He says, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then Peter says, Lord, if it's you, then tell me to come out on the water to you. And Jesus said, come on. Let's have a party out here on the lake. <laughs> well, I'm going to explain that in a second. But Peter got out, or he got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. So now we've got two people walking on the water. First time in history I think that's ever happened. But when he saw the wind and was afraid and began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he didn't say, Peter... What a great job that was. Man, I just appreciate and admire your initiative to come out of that boat and just start. Wow, that's amazing, Peter. Wow. What does he say? You of little faith, why did you doubt? And then when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Lord, bless the reading of your word. We're not used to stormy weather. But we have the convenience in this modern world of us knowing when the storm is coming, right? How many of you prepared for the storm? Because you heard all over the news, right? I was out on my roof last night, 5 o'clock in the evening, sealing windowsills because of dry rot. And I'm like, no way is water getting in here. I, was, I, I have a water pump on the side of my house because that side of my house floods. So guess what? I look when it's... Turn the pump on. I'm out there working myself silly, trying to get that place dry, right? I'm prepared for the storm. You're probably prepared for the storm. Most Angelinos are not because they don't know how to drive in the rain. But what happens when the storm comes unexpectedly? That's a little different, isn't it? There was a book that was written um, a few years ago called The Perfect Storm. There was a movie made about that book called The Perfect Storm. Anybody watch it? This was crazy. 1991, October, this fishing boat takes off from a Massachusetts harbor. The name of the boat is the Andrea Gale. It had six crew members. They, they rowed into um, what they ended up calling the perfect storm. But th this, is, this is crazy. What they tell you, the reason why this storm was so wild was because there were actually four different storms happening all at the same time. And four different storm fronts converged on this one spot in the ocean that just so happened to be where the Andrea Gale was. We never saw the Andrea Gale. We never saw those six members ever again. And the book that gets written about those folks is in some ways a tribute to them, but the focus of the book is not the people. It's the storm. And the focus of the movie is the storm. And I keep thinking about the fact that perfect storms are not new to any of us, are they? Like, there have been times in your life where you didn't just have one problem, but you had four or five or multiple problems all converging in one place. Ever experienced that? Like, first it's my family, now it's my work, now it's this person on Facebook that just keeps bugging me. And then it's my school. I'm not, I didn't get a good, I got to pick up my grade. You know, and all of a sudden, boom, there's a convergence of a bunch of storms to create the perfect storm. We're used to, we're familiar with perfect storms in life. So this passage, listen, is going to point us to how God's perfect activity meets us in the midst 
of perfect storms. How many of you know that sometimes God doesn't pull you out of the perfect storm? Sometimes he meets you in the middle of the perfect storm. If you're willing to open your eyes and acknowledge that he's there. So here's the thought I want you to hang your mind around today. That when life's perfect storms pull you under. Say this with me. Christ is above it all. Tell the person next to you, Christ is on top of it. And he's going to pull you through. Yeah, some of you need to hear that from someone else right now. Jesus, the first thing he does in this passage is he retreats. Immediately, it says, after he dismissed the crowd, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. And I told you the context of this. But Jesus knows that the storm that he's going to need to walk over is going to require that he is, he's got his A game on. In order to be on your A game spiritually, the one thing that helps that happen is regular time alone with the Father. Regular time alone with God. Now listen, the Gospel of Luke, when Luke shows Jesus praying, he shows Jesus praying multiple times throughout his Gospel. So that you get the impression that Jesus builds a rhythm of prayer or a rhythm of retreating into his own life. But when Matthew and Mark write about Jesus praying, they only write about him praying twice in their gospel. This time, right here, and guess what the other time when we see Jesus praying in the gospel of Matthew? Guess when he is going to the, in the garden of Gethsemane, right? So the two times you see Jesus praying in the gospel of Matthew are right before some pretty heavy crisis. This is one time. Gethsemane was another the message that Matthew is trying to send here is that prayer and being alone with the Father really does get you ready for the intense storms that life brings you at times. So retreating doesn't always mean defeat. Retreat doesn't always equal defeat. Sometimes you need to retreat to get ready. And sometimes you need to build into your life a rhythm of retreating so that you can actually face the storms that are about to come. Some of you are living your life right now in the, what we call, in the eye of the storm, right? You're, you're experiencing the calm before the storm. Maybe it's time for you to retreat. So you can be ready when the storm, when you come out of that eye and the storm starts to hit. Some of you are right in the thick of the storm. Jesus says, from his life we see, come, come away, be with God. Now, here's the thing about retreating, all right? None of us, this is not like something that is natural to us, okay? When we face hard times, we want to solve the problem. We want to be like, get me every bit of information I need so I can get through this the right way, right? That's usually our natural tendency. But listen, retreating really is about giving place to God's work and God's direction so you can face the storm with that direction, with that word, with that promise in your heart. It's kind of like uh, getting in shape, you know, right at the beginning of a new year and uh, most of us are all committed to do better with our health and all that. I am. But I remember years ago, I had a trainer. In fact, I brought that trainer here to church, and he spoke here at church, gave a testimony. Some of you have been here a while. You remember that guy. He's a Russian dude. 
just hardcore. And he, he <laughs> I remember when I first, uh, my first session with him, he taught me how to do this exercise called the plank. Anybody know what a plank is? Yeah, you know the plank. I'm not going to show you, okay, because that's just flat out embarrassing. But uh, the plank, you know, put your elbows on the, on the floor like that. It's like you're doing a push-up, but you, you kind of just plank out. You throw your legs out, and you just hold that position, and it hurts right here. Okay, all you guys you know who exercise and work out, you know what that's like. Well, my first time ever doing a plank, I could only last for like maybe 15 seconds, all right? <laughs> and I was like, man, it hurts. I can't do it. And then he tells me, he says, McKen, the goal is um, work, you're going to be able to do this for three minutes to hold that position. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I can't even do 15, 15 seconds, man. My, my abs already hurt. Like, can we stop right now? See, I was limited. I thought my capacity was 15 seconds. But what my trainer knew was that it wasn't an issue of capacity. It was an issue of conditioning. You can get there if you focus on conditioning yourself. When you condition right, your, comp your capacity increases. You know, it's the same way in the spiritual life, isn't it? Because some, some of you think, man, there's no way I'm going to spend all night on the mountain. There's no way I'm going to spend all night praying to God. Are you kidding me, Pastor? I, can, I can't even pray 15 seconds in the car. I only pray like 10 seconds around the dinner table when my parents force me to. And I say grace, you know, grace, amen, right? <laughs> That's all I know. Okay, yeah, you may not be able to. Let me tell you something. If you follow Jesus, if you've embraced the life of Christian faith, you can pray like this. You can the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he's got all the capacity in the world. The problem is not capacity. The problem is what? Yeah. Conditioning. Spiritual conditioning. You know, um, my son plays a saxophone, and um, he'll sometimes ask me for help. Because I can't play this, you know, this really, this section of this music. It's so fast. I can't. How do they do that? And he's, he, this is how he tries to practice. He tries to practice by... Um, playing the track that has the music in the tempo that it's written in, and he's trying to do it. Do you think he can do it? Absolutely not. He's all over the place. He's playing wrong notes. I'm like, so what do I do? I tell him, Caleb, slow it down. Break it way back, and let's take it slower until he can get precision on those notes. And then he builds it up slowly and slowly and slowly. And maybe after an hour and a half, He's got it, <laughs> right? Just that little phrase. That's the same way in the spiritual life. This is why we tell you, read the Bible every day. This is why we tell you, come to church every Sunday. This is why we tell you, go to life group. Make that part of your regular rhythm, okay? Because all, part of that is spiritual conditioning. You'll be much more equipped to face the storm when you've learned how to build those healthy rhythms into your life. That's what retreat is all about. And here's the prophetic part for some of you. Some of you need to get alone with God because what you're facing right now, you need to him to speak to you specifically about what to do. Yeah, you know, I've been getting all the advice from all the social media. I've been getting all the advice from the people that, that love and care for me the most. Great, wonderful. You need to hear from God yourself. That's discipleship, man. Not that you depend on me or the preacher every Sunday, but that you learn how to hear God for yourself and obey on a daily basis. 
So you're thinking, how is it possible that people come to church and never really grow in their faith? It's because of that. Because they're actually feeding on the faith of someone else and not building their own. Say, Pastor, that was good. That was worth the price of admission, right? Man, you guys are quiet. I'm trying to make you laugh. Let me see if I can make you laugh in a second here. (laughs) Say, retreat. The next word is revelation. So Jesus comes out of this um, time with God. He doesn't get in a boat. He starts walking on the water. Why is he walking on the water? Why is he doing this? Because he wants to reveal something to his disciples. He wants to reveal the reality of his divinity. See, for the disciples, they're stuck in the middle of the lake. Now, here's an insight, insight that you probably won't um, realize unless we unpack it here. They are in the lake, in the middle of the lake. These guys are seasoned fishermen. They know water. They know how to row through a storm. But for some reason, this storm is a lot uh, more dangerous, a lot stronger. In fact, it says here the words, the boat was buffeted. The word is harassed. The word is oppressed. It's the same word that is used when a demon possesses somebody in the New Testament. Same word. They were buffeted. They were oppressed. They were harassed. So we want to think that maybe what Matthew, the writer, is telling us here is that this storm isn't just of natural origin. That this storm has a supernatural element to it. That the enemy is behind this storm. That, that the devil and hell's power is behind this storm. Because it's oppressing the disciples. And they're stuck. They're struggling. They don't know what to do. They're pulling out all the tricks of the trade. And nothing seems to be working. And then, now watch. So they're getting scared, okay? Water's filling the boat. We're supposed to know how to get through this. There's no way. And they're getting scared. And then, imagine the wind, the waves. Just like that, right? Just like that. Except harder, right? Harder. And then the fog. And then... They look, they look and they see this figure walking on the water. They don't think it's Jesus. What do they say? It's, okay, so here's why they say it's a ghost. Because in that ancient world, people looked at the ocean and they thought of the sea as the place where evil spirits lived. So when they see a they see, an, they see this figure walking on the water. It makes total sense. They go, that is the night of the living dead. That's evil spirits from the sea coming to get us. Ah! Right? Great horror film. Those of you who like film, this is, you know, you may make a film on that someday. But listen, they're scared out of their wits. And they say, it is a ghost. And Jesus steps in to their line of sight and says, guys, It's not a ghost. Don't be afraid. Here's the word. It is I. The word in Greek is I am. It's the same word that God uses to reveal his name in the Old Testament to Moses. He says, Moses, when you go to the children of Israel to set them free from Egypt, tell them that I am has sent them. That's my name. I am. It's Yahweh, Jehovah, the God who will deliver you from any situation. I am. And Jesus comes and he steps in and he says, guys, the reason I'm walking on the lake is I want you to know I am. I'm God. I'm here to rescue. I'm here to deliver. I'm here to calm your fears. I'm not a ghost. You don't need to be scared. You're blowing this up way out of proportion. 
and Jesus reveals himself. Because, listen, the disciples were interpreting that whole situation according to the information they had in their head. And according to the information they had in their head, the sea is the place where all these evil spirits live. So it must be an evil spirit that's walking toward us. Listen, we need to stop looking through the lens of information and start looking through the lens of revelation. Jesus says, my revelation is going to trump your information. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal myself as the God who walks over all the stuff you, all the evil you think is coming at you. Listen, I know you got people in your life you think are evil. Yeah, don't, look, don't look at anybody right now, okay? Please. <laughs> Just stop right there, okay? And don't type on, don't stop texting. Stop social media right now. Stop like, okay. But don't, isn't it? Sometimes we go, man, what I'm going through, they're evil, there's wickedness coming towards me. It's a ghost. Jesus steps in and says, no, no, don't be afraid. I am. I'm the God of the Old Testament. I'm the God of your fathers, Isaac, Abraham, Jacob. I am that covenant God. I walk and trample over the storm. That's a good place to say amen. <laughs> <laughs> you need help today? <laughs> All right, man. I love it. I love it. Here it is. Tell the person next to you, he's on top of it. Forgive me if I'm shouting. I just get excited sometimes, so I'll try to tone it down. So, All right. All right. All right. So here's the last point. Je Jesus reveals himself as God, and there's one disciple named Peter who responds to that revelation. And how does he respond? He says, hey, Lord, if it's you. Here's the cool thing. You ever wonder why Peter does this, right? Like Peter, that's just totally like, that's, I mean, what you're doing right now is, is you're trying, what are you trying to do? Be boast? Are you like, you know, are you trying to show that you've got better, more faith than we do, Peter? Like, what is up with you, man? Here's what I think is going on. Peter, he says, Jesus, now your Bible says, if it is you, tell me to come. The word, the, another way to translate that clause is not if it is you, but since it is you. So I don't think Peter is doubting the identity of Jesus. I think he's saying, Jesus, since it's you, because it's you, tell me to come out on the water to walk with you. In other words, Peter, even though he's in the boat, he wants to be out on the water in the presence of Jesus rather than be stuck without Jesus in the boat. And I love that about Pete, right? He goes, Jesus, tell me to come out. So he gets out out of the boat, and he starts, he's the second man in history that starts walking on water towards Jesus. What a powerful thing. Jesus says, come. Here's what's happening. Peter knows that any disciple can expect of his rabbi, which Jesus is his rabbi, to teach that disciple everything they know. And to enable that disciple to do everything they do. That's the understanding of a disciple's relationship to his rabbi. If I'm your rabbi, back in those days, a Jewish rabbi would call his disciples to him. And the expectation was, rabbi, you're going to teach me everything that you know. And you're going to help me do everything you do. So, Peter's got this mentality. When he sees Jesus walking on the water, he's not thinking... How can I boast and brag and be like, you know, the man today? He's not thinking that. You know what he's thinking? Jesus is my rabbi. 
And my rabbi just revealed himself as God. So anything he can do, he's supposed to teach me how to do too. Jesus, since it's you, teach me how to do what you're doing right now. Enable me, empower me to do exactly what you're doing right now. And Jesus says, I love that, Peter. Come on. And Peter gets out. He starts walking like we do, right? We do. I'm going to start risking a little bit for God. Jesus, I believe I can pray for the sick because you've healed the sick all over the New Testament. So I'm going to pray for this sick person. That's getting out of the boat. Did you get that? Jesus spoke to poor people. He preached the gospel to the poor all over the place. So the minute you start talking to that homeless guy on the corner and give him that food like that life group does, uh, where are you, Tess? Yeah, she, we are doing what Jesus does. And he and that's getting out of the boat. Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking and then what happens? I love this because it's just like us. He had a moment where his faith was so high. Could you imagine what it's like to walk on water? I'm doing it, man. Dude, look at this. This is cool. And then all of a sudden, he gets distracted by the, the waves and the wind. And he starts to sing, blah, 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 Lord, help me, blah, 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 right? Jesus goes, boom. Come on up, Peter. Now watch this. Now watch this. Watch this. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, oh, you have little faith, big baby. Come on. Let me carry you back to the boat. Does he do that? Peter becomes the first guy in history, in Bible history, that gets to walk on the water twice. Oh, Lord, I'm sinking. <laughs> Jesus, pick me up out of it. Pick me up out of it. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt, Pete? Come on, let's walk back on the water. You got it. You're doing good. Man, all you got to do is you got to be with me. And we can do this together. Let's get in the boat. Oh. Listen, sometimes God will not bail you out of the situation you're in. Sometimes he wants to walk you through it. We all are asking God for a bailout. Get me out of here. Lord, save me. Put me back in the boat immediately. Jesus says, I will save you, but I'm going to walk with you through the ocean, back to the boat. What causes your faith to grow more? God bailing you out or God walking you through? Some of you are in situations where you've been waiting for God to bail you out. God's extending his hand and he's saying, you have little faith. Let's walk together through this. Let me teach you. Let me show you how it's done. And you need to be able to accept that and say, God, all right, walk me through, walk me through, walk me through. <sighs> Still love me? I don't care, actually. You have to love me. <laughs> you don't have to like me, but you got to love me if you follow Jesus. So, <laughs> What is it that the Lord is calling you to step out? That feels like this is going to take a miracle for me to do this. What challenge, what boat is he asking you to step out of to meet him? Because being in the boat gets old. Oh, that we would be like Peter who would say, God, I'd rather be with you out on the risky ocean than be without you in the safe boat. Actually, the boat wasn't that safe. 
We think it was safe. Nah. You're safer in the arms of Jesus. You're safer closer to Jesus than you are in the boat that you, you think is safe. Come on. Stand to your feet with me. Let's do this. Let's do this. This year is going to be a year of breakthrough for some of you. This year is going to be a year of increased faith for some of you. This year, God's going to actually do stuff that you've been praying for for the longest time, and you're going to see it happen. And he's going to say, see, aren't you glad I didn't bail you out of the situation? I put you in the situation, and now you know how to walk over the situation with me. Because I'm the God who walks over the sea. I'm on top of it. Even though you feel like you're sinking, even though life's storms, perfect storms, are all converging to pull you under I'm the God who walks over it, and I'm going to pull you through. And let's walk on the water this year. Not literally, not literally, but whatever storms you're facing, whatever storms as a church we're going to face, God's going to walk us through. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.